0: Good morning, uh, Christ Central. Uh, As Daniel said, my name is Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, It's my awesome privilege to share with you God's Word this morning. Uh, We're coming to the end of our series uh, in the Psalms, and we finish with uh, a wonderful psalm, one that's probably familiar to many of you, uh, Psalm 139. So if you would stand now uh, as we read God's Word. This is God's Word. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, "'intricately woven in the depths of the earth. "'Your eyes saw my unformed substance, "'and your book were written every one of them, "'the days that were formed for me, "'when as yet there were none of them. "'How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! "'How vast is the sum of them! "'If I would count them, they are more than the sand. "'I awake, and I am still with you. "'Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! "'O men of blood, depart from me!' They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm, this special word to us. Lord, I know that this particular psalm has been a nourishment to my soul many times. And I pray that you would use it again this morning to speak to us, to speak to our hearts and to remind us of your goodness and your faithfulness. Would we be changed by encountering you, the living God? In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we come to the close of our sermon series in Psalms, and it's been a wonderful journey. Uh, I know it has been for me. I hope it has been for you. And one of the things that we've been highlighting again and again in this series is that we are relational beings, that we were created for relationships. And the question I want to bring to you this morning as we begin is, how do you go about determining who to be in relationship with? How do we as humans decide who we are going to give ourselves to in relationship? Who we are going to have that intimate, personal relationship with? Those people whom we go deep with. I think the answer is rather simple, and it's actually the same for all of us the depth of our relationship with one another is based entirely upon trust. The more we trust another person, the more we are willing to give of ourselves, to be vulnerable, to be honest, to risk relationship. And the reason that we as humans operate this way is because we've all been hurt in relationship before, haven't we? We've all been hurt. Every single one of us has trusted someone at some point in our life, and they've deeply hurt us. That experience is common to all of us, and as a result of that experience, we're constantly observing. We're looking at those around us, trying to determine who is safe, who can I enter into a relationship with, and who has the potential to hurt me. And the tragedy in this, brothers and sisters, is that I believe Many of us are so wounded in relationship, we've been hurt so many times that we have given up on relationship altogether. We do this because we're afraid, more like terrified, of getting hurt again. We're afraid that if we give ourselves to someone, if we enter into that place, if we trust somebody, we will inevitably get hurt And so as a result, we live incredibly lonely lives. You might say, wait a minute, Pastor. I have tons of friends. I I trust people all the time. But how many of those friends really know you? How many of your friends really know the depths of who you are? How many of them would you trust with the thoughts that run through your mind late at night when you can't sleep? How many of them know the fears and anxieties that you're walking with right now, this very moment? How many of them know the things that you did ten years ago that still cause you to hate yourself and to wallow in shame? Do you really have tons of friends? Do you really have that many people that really know you, that you really trust. You see, because the tragic narrative is that, and it's true for all of us on some level, that we used to trust people a long time ago, but then we got hurt. And because of that, we are so apprehensive, we're so weary to risk relationship again. That's how we live. But the good news, and this comes from our text this morning, is that there's a remedy for the fear that keeps us from relationship. And that remedy is character. Character, as defined by Webster, is the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. Strong, righteous character is the one thing that can pull us out of fear and back into relationship. You see, because if I know that you have strong character, then I know that I can trust you, that I can give myself to you, and I might be willing to risk relationship once again. Our text this morning is about character, about God's character. And when we look at it, what we see is the psalmist is answering one of the most important questions that's ever asked Who is God? What is God's character? And what's happening here is the psalmist realizes that we are people that have been wounded and therefore we run from relationship. And he's coming to us in that and he's trying to paint a picture of God's character, a picture that would entice us, that would lure us back into relationship with him. A picture so beautiful that we couldn't resist but trust him and enter into that risky place of relationship with him. Before we dive into the topic of who is God, before we allow the psalmist to answer that question for us, I want to give us a little bit of instruction on how we approach a massive doctrine such as this, such as who is God. And I have to give credit to one of my professors, Dr. John Frame, for this insight that I'm about to share. And what Dr. Frame points out is that all scripture comes to us from three different perspectives, and these three perspectives are intricately woven together. The three perspectives, if you will, are the head, the heart, and the hands. That every every truth that comes at us is made up of these three perspectives. You could also say it this way the normative, the existential, and the situational. Bear with me for a second. The idea here is that God's Word, the Bible, presents truth to us. That's the normative, that's the head. And that those truths affect our emotions, our hearts. And at the same time, those truths compel us to live a certain way. That's the hands. So, for example, the Bible tells us that, that we're supposed to love the Lord our God. That's a truth. That's the head. And we know that love is both an emotion and an action. So we, we, when we are called by God by that truth, we're supposed to feel something about God in our hearts. And at the same time, that command to love is an action. We're called to live a certain way. We love God by obeying Him and serving Him. And so I think you guys get the point. When we read the Bible, we need to recognize that there's all these things coming together. There's a truth, there's an, a norm, a reality, and that truth affects our hearts and it causes us to live a different way. The reason I share that with you is because that's how psalm, the psalm comes to us this morning. The psalmist presents to us this glorious truth of who God is, and then he walks us through and he shows us how that affects our hearts and how that compels us to live differently. So those are our three points this morning. First, who is God? This glorious truth. And then how that truth, God's character, should shape our hearts and how that truth about who God is should shape our lives. So let's begin. Who is God? God? And when we dive into this, I want to just give you guys a quote from A.W. Tozer. Some of you may have read this book, Knowledge of the Holy, but he's reminding us of how important it is to get this question right. How important it is to know the right answer to who God is this is what he says a right conception of god is basic not only to our systematic theology but to all practical christian living it is to worship what what the foundation is to the temple where it is inadequate or out of plumb the whole structure must sooner or later collapse I believe there is scarcely an error in doctrine or a failure in applying Christian ethics that cannot be traced finally to imperfect and ignoble thoughts about God. What Tozer is saying, if we get this question wrong about who is God, there is almost no ability for us to walk with Him, to love Him, to serve Him, and to obey Him. It starts here. We have to know rightly who He is. And we have to come to this book for those answers. This is God's revelation of himself to us. And so we come here to understand who he is. So who, what does it say? What does the psalmist say about who God is? Listen again to verses 1 through 4. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before there was a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. Who is God? The first thing, and this is the main point the psalmist is making, is that God is omniscient. Which is just a biblical term that means God knows everything. He knows absolutely Everything. For those of us who are a little thick-headed, if that's you, that's certainly me, the psalmist makes it plain for us. He knows our ways, verse 2. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you search out my path. He knows our thoughts, verse 2. Again, you discern my thoughts from afar. And then lastly, he even knows our words before we speak them. Listen to verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Brothers and sisters, have you ever pondered this truth before? That God knows everything, that his knowledge is perfect, that it's infinite. His his knowledge extends to the past. It covers the present and goes beyond to the future to all eternity. God knows everything. His knowledge is global. It's not just centralized here in America like we often like to think. He knows his whole creation. His knowledge is probing. It's not just that he knows what happens, but he also knows what's going on on the inside. He penetrates our hearts and our minds. No thought of yours goes unnoticed by him. Have you ever pondered that before? That's huge. His knowledge is infinite. In a moment, I will talk about how this should affect our hearts, but right now, I just want you to soak that in. The fact that nothing, nothing nothing happens, nothing occurs, no thought comes into your mind that God is not aware of. God is omniscient. The psalmist then continues and highlights two more aspects of God's character, and these really serve as sub-points of his primary point, that God is all-knowing. And these next two Aspects of God's character are His omnipresence and omnipotence. and I'm I'm using these words because I think it's helpful for us to learn this, this language, but I'm going to define them. God is omnipresent and omnipotent. Look at verses 7 through 12. The psalmist argues that God's omniscience, His knowing of everything, is rooted in His omnipresence, meaning that He is everywhere. The psalmist here describes at great lengths man's desire and yet inability to escape from God's presence. Have you ever tried to run from God? Has there ever been something inside of you that has caused you to want to crawl into a hole and hide? Something shameful, something that happened to you? Listen to what the text says. Verse 8 and 9 highlight how we cannot climb high enough, we can't ascend to heaven, and we can't go low enough, we can't descend to Sheol to escape from God's presence. He then goes in verse 9 and 10, he says you can't go far enough to the east or far enough to the west to escape God's presence. And then lastly, verse 11, we can't even go into the darkness. We can't even go into evil, which is as far from God as we possibly could go. You can run to the depths of depravity. And some of us have, and we still cannot escape from God. That's the story of my life, if I could share for a moment. And In high school, I, I was so ashamed of who I was, I ran so far from God. I just engrossed myself in the world, and yet I knew all along that God was still there. I could not get this nagging sense of his presence out of my mind. I don't know if any of you ever experienced that. His presence, it's it's perpetual, it's it's everywhere, it's it's always there, whether we want it to be there or not. I personally find great great comfort in the fact that none of you are ever forever present in my life. That would be creepy. But the text argues that there has never ever been a moment, and there never will be a single moment in your life where God is not personally present with you. The psalmist is not saying it's, like a, it's not like a mist that we experience this morning where God is just always kind of there and we kind of feel Him. That's not what he's saying. He's saying God is personally present as I am with you in your life every single day. Have you wrapped your mind around that? That from the day we enter this world to the day we leave it, God is with you. Again, in a second, we're gonna, the psalmist will show us how this should affect our heart and lives, but I want you just to chew on that for a second, that God's presence is eternal. It's always there with you. Lastly, verses 13 through 18, the psalmist makes his final point. He says that God's omniscience, his knowledge, is rooted as well in his omnipotence, in his power, his infinite power. And what we would think here is that if you were going to talk about God's power, you would begin to talk about his creation of the world, or maybe when he parted the Red Sea, or he brought water out of the rock. But instead, the psalmist does something different here. When he wants to demonstrate God's power, he talks about God's creation of himself. We know that God is all-powerful, or at least the psalmist does, because he knows that God made him. Verse 13, you formed my inward parts. It actually says, You formed my kidneys, which is the old test. The Hebrew here, what it's saying is that that's the essence. Like we use the word heart, they use the word kidneys. It's the, it's the innermost part of us, it's our emotional and moral center. So God created our emotional selves, and then it goes on to say, verse 13, excuse me, verse 15, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret intricately woven in the depths he created our physical self as well so God created all of us not just the our our skin but he created our heart our emotions our spiritual self and then it comes to this strange verse verse 16 says you saw my your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them the language there is somewhat bizarre What the psalmist is saying is that God's power here does not end with creation, but His power exists over every single day of our lives. God's power is displayed in His sovereignty over everything that we do. That God never comes down off of His throne. That He is always in control. Now I know for many of us that truth probably produces some questions and concerns, and and probably deserves a sermon all of its own. That God is in complete control. That His power is never thwarted. Because sometimes we experience some things that are incredibly difficult and incredibly painful. And it's in those moments that we want to believe maybe God is on break. Maybe God's taking a nap. Maybe He doesn't really have power over this. But the psalmist is clear that every single day of our life, that God exerts His power over that. This is how A.W. Pink says it. He says, A God whose will is resisted, whose designs are frustrated, whose purpose is checkmated, possesses no title to deity, and is so far from being a fit object of worship, He merits nothing but contempt. If God is not in complete control, He is not God. And He does not deserve our worship. So that's what we see here. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. So those are the three truths about God's character that the psalmist lays before us. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Which leads us to our second point, really the substance of what we have here. How God's character should shape our hearts. Now that we've unpacked what the psalmist says about who God is, we now need to look and see how these these truths are meant to shape us, they're meant to affect us, grip our hearts. And what's wonderful about this psalm is it doesn't just present abstract ideas. He could just stop right there and say, God is all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's everywhere, amen. But that's not what he does. He gives it to us in a way that we can taste it and experience it. The arguments of this psalm are personal. The psalmist doesn't simply declare that God knows everything and is everywhere and holds all the power. He instead talks about how God knows him personally. How God dwells with him and how God's power is manifested in the creation of him. It's intimate. It's personal. Do you see the difference? It's this personal bent that makes this psalm so highly emotional. It's why we run to it, right? It's why we need it. Because the fact that God simply knows everything doesn't affect my heart, but the fact that God knows everything about me deeply affects my heart. And so there are two ways that this psalm can affect our hearts one is good and one is bad. The fact that God is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent can either cause us to hide from Him or it causes us to stand in awe of Him and find security. There have been numerous studies that have been done on dreams and uh, one of the, the common dreams that that, that, uh, that people have been doing these studies have been discovered is that many humans will have the dream where they show up at school or at work and they have no clothes on. I don't know if anyone here has ever had that dream. I haven't, which I'm glad, but you don't have to raise your hand. That's kind of embarrassing. But it's a horrible dream. It's a nightmare because it, it strikes at the core of our deepest fear, Right? that we would be exposed. And when we're exposed, we don't know how people are going to respond. We don't know if people are going to still embrace us, still love us, or if they're going to abandon us. Daniel and I have been working hard uh, to be completely honest and vulnerable with one another, to not hide relationally from one another. And it's actually, it's really hard to do because our natural human tendency is to hide because we're afraid if I give you all of me, are you going to go away? Are you still going to like me? And so we live in constant fear of that. Just the other day, Daniel and I were on a walk, which is kind of cute. <laughs> we, do, we take walks weekly, actually. Um, we're on a walk, and, and um, we both were compelled to share with one another ways that we had been hurt. Um, and, and we talked about how there was this desire to not go there. We both wanted to hide. Because we were afraid, if I was afraid, if I told Daniel, "This is how you hurt me," and I really gave him all of myself, that he might leave, that he might not want to be in relationship with me anymore. Because we live in that fear, and what's scary about this text is that we are so scared to be known. And the text says, God actually knows us completely, fully. He knows us inside and out. He knows the good, the bad, the ugly. And so when we look in the mirror and we see ourselves and we see warts and all and we see all the brokenness, we have to face the fact that God sees that too. He actually sees more of us than we could possibly imagine. And so the natural human tendency is to think, oh my goodness, God sees all of that. He can't possibly love me. He can't possibly want to be in relationship with me. And so our tendency would be to run and hide. Which is silly. You know, I think about when my daughter plays hide and seek with me and and she tells me to close my eyes account, and and then I come around the corner and there's this big lump on the couch and there's a blanket over it. It's like, really? You know, come on. But of course I can see her. And that's the same thing with God. We're that lump on the couch with a blanket. Like, we seek to hide from God, but it's just absurd because He's everywhere, He knows everything, He's all powerful. We can't hide from God, but we're so ashamed, we're so scared that he'll go away because that's what we experience in life. And so that's the negative response that we have to this truth is that we want to run and hide. But that's not what the psalmist does. He doesn't run and hide, does he? Look at what it says. You know, He responds by awe and joy. He finds security in God's knowledge. And brothers and sisters, it's not because the psalmist didn't have anything to be ashamed of. This is David writing this song. He's a murderer and an adulterer. That's plenty of reason to hide from God. But for some reason, he finds security in the the fact that God knows the depths of who he is. Why is that? Why doesn't David run and hide? The reason is because he knows God's character. He's experienced God's pursuit of him, God's love for him, God's acceptance of him in spite of his sin. And David here, he doesn't understand it. He, he stands in all and says, why, God? Why would you do that? We, however, we know why, don't we? We know why God is accepting of David and why is it God is able to embrace him in spite of all this sin in his life. It's because of what Christ has done, amen? We know that we can approach God and He will accept us because He has dealt with our sin on the cross. And so because of that, brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian, God's knowledge, His infinite knowledge and His presence, the fact that He's here, is not scary. It brings us security and peace. It's our refuge. The fact that He is here is our hope. I want to finish now with uh, our third and final point, how God's character should shape our lives. So it not only affects our heart, it brings peace that He's here, that He loves us, that He knows all of our stuff and He still loves us, but it also affects our lives. It affects the way we live. David's heart is clearly affected by the character of God. He's awestruck. But not only is he moved emotionally, but he, he acts Listen to how the verse closes, and this is the most famous part of this psalm. I'll read it again to you. Twenty-three and twenty-four. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see, I'm sorry, I'm reading, I'm quoting it in the way I memorized it. Part uh, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Here we're moving from the head through the heart and into the hands. Do you get that? The truth about who God is has affected David's heart, and now he's acting in response to that. He's, he's seeing that God is omnipotent, that he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, and that those truths are compelling him to go one step further. Because of that, he's, because of these realities, he, he's inviting God to do something with those truths. He's, he's acknowledging who God is, and he's inviting God's omnipresence, his omniscience, his, his omnipotence, his om, Ah, whatever. All those words. He's inviting God to use his character in his life. He knows that God has perfect knowledge about him, and he's inviting him to use that knowledge to search him out, to expose the brokenness inside of him, to reveal the hurtful ways in him, and to use his power to purify him from those things. Do you get that? Do you see how this the, the, the character of God affects us? It affects our lives. It's not just something that we know for the heck of it. Who God is, it, it speaks to how we interact with him. The fact that he knows us inside and out and encourages us, invites us to bring him in and allow us, and, and allows him to search us and to reveal to us those things that he needs to work on. And that's the application for us from this psalm, brothers and sisters. It's to, it's to embrace God's character and to invite Him into our lives, to invite Him to use His knowledge and His power to make us more like Jesus. I want to come back to where we started. I know many of us have been hurt badly in relationship, and as a, as a result, we are avoiding relationship. I know that that's true for many of us. And we do that even more so with God. Because deep down, we can't possibly imagine that the God of the universe, the one who actually knows the depths of us, that He would really want to be with us. That He would really long to be in relationship with us. Brothers and sisters, God knows you far better than you know yourself. He knows your deepest, darkest secrets. He knows your struggle with pornography. He knows the unethical business move that you made years ago. He knows your struggle with addiction. He knows your struggle with rage, with depression, lust, eating disorder, what, whatever it is, he he knows your struggles. He knows them all because he made you with his hands. And He's been with you every step of the way. He's been by your side every single day of your life. And the most astonishing truth that this text reveals is that He loves you just the same. And whenever you doubt His love, you look to the cross and you remember that He gave up His one and only Son. And when you recognize that, your response can be nothing other than the words of David in this song. He says, how precious are your thoughts Oh God, how vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Brothers and sisters, would the fact that God knows you fully and he's still here blow your mind and compel you to worship? Would that truth motivate you to invite him to search you and to purify you so that you might glorify him more and more with your life amen let's pray father i i cannot believe uh, that you know all of me you know all about me you've been with me you've seen it because you were there you know my wicked thoughts you know my struggles, and yet you love me. Yet you pursue relationship with me. And God, I confess, With I know many here, I am afraid of relationship. I'm afraid that if I'm really exposed, that you will go away, that you will abandon me. Father, would you remind me again and again, remind us that you're not going anywhere. That that in spite of the fact that you know the depths of our brokenness, you love us just the same and you continue to pursue us. And Father, would we call out to you in that perfect knowledge and invite you to work on us, to search our hearts and to expose the brokenness there. And would you lead us in the way everlasting? Would you lead us to holiness because you love us? Father, I pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.